We work hard as physicians to take care of the health and well-being of our patients. But when it comes to our money, do we have the same condition of care? Probably, probably not. Let's change that together. Welcome to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast, where we'll fight and advocate for your financial literacy. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Thanks for being here. Let's jump into the show. Hey guys, I want to welcome you guys to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. We've got a great episode this week. Before we begin, please hit the subscribe button as well as the notifications bell and be sure to like, comment, and share if you like this episode and we'll get into this week's sponsor and show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week's episode is sponsored by CityVest. CityVest has quickly become the most popular and best way for doctors to invest in top-performing real estate private equity funds that are usually reserved for institutional investors. This unique access to investing in these institutional funds is available for the first time ever through CityVest's easy and secure online investment platform. CityVest does the hard work of conducting due diligence and vetting the investments. They even get a third-party due diligence report that is posted on their website. As a result of aggregating a several million dollar investment amount into their access funds, CityVest gains access to investing in the institutional investment and is able to negotiate better investment terms such as a 12% preferred return. You can check them out at cityvest.com or go to the link in the show notes below. Now on to the show. Before we begin today's content, here is a quick disclaimer. The information and material presented here is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. The content is not a recommendation to buy or to sell. Some of the content may be for credited investors only or may be sponsored posts. Every investment carries risks. Results have not been verified. So carefully weigh those risks against your investment goals and objectives and see if acting on the information matches with your investment thesis. Do your due diligence prior to investing. And as always, do not invest more than you can afford to lose. So welcome everybody to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, we tout four different types of freedom, financial, location, time, and emotional freedom. And as you know, uh, I bring on high-profile guests, high-income guests that are entrepreneurs, business owners, high-income earners to discuss the latest state of affairs, talk about cutting-edge ideas, and to empower you to achieve freedom and independence in your own way. So Today, we have uh, Miles Wakeham, and he is the financially independent 
contrarian coming out of Arizona. And, um, you know, today he's, we're going to talk about all about financial independence, freedom, a little bit of crypto. I know the markets, there's uh, it's all blood in the markets today, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, go from there. So Miles, welcome. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we connected through Podmatch, and um, you know, what's interesting is you have a, you know, basically you're part of the fire movement and uh, tell most people your background, how you got started and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm a bit of an oddball. Um, so firstly, I'm not, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, so that will give you a, sort of a general sense of demographic here. So I'm originally from Australia, which my accent probably gives away. Uh, I, I'm one of those very, very weird guys who was raised in the 60s and 70s in Australia at a time when there was this thing around technology, which I as a kid got really into, kind of geeked out on. Uh, but there was no way to study it or learn it or go to college or anything like that. There, there was just nothing back in those days. So I ended up uh, not even finishing high school and went straight in and started a software company, which for a 15-year-old kid is kind of unusual. Uh, but I did that in the late 70s. And then by the mid-80s, I had written software for governments, de departments of defense, um, big corporations, Fortune 500s, universities, uh, chemical labs. <laughs> I, you know, what a way to welcome yourself into the real world. But I got a chance to spend time in all of those areas because I could, I could write software. And um, in the mid-80s, I had a chance to uh, move to the United States, which I did, and I came basically with nothing, a bag of clothes. And I walked away through a weird series of events about five or six years later as a millionaire. And the way it worked out was that this kid that had no university degree or didn't even finish high school, uh, every time I go looking for a job, well, you can pretty much guess what they said. Um, immigrant, you know, no, no background. Yeah, get out, kid. I'm like, yeah, but I just wrote software for a $5 billion submarine project. You know, we don't care. You haven't got the papers. So I said, okay, fine. So I just kept trying, kept pitching. And eventually I stumbled into this little startup in Southern California that didn't even have any buildings at the time. They were in construction. So I had a job interview in one of those mobile office trailers on a construction site <laughs> and they said, you know, we've got, we're in this medical thing. I didn't understand it. Uh, they said, we need software. We need to build an entire organization. We need people who know how to write software. I'm like, well, I'm your guy. <laughs> You're going to hire me. I mean, I've just been told 20 times no. And they're looking at me like from the other side of the desk going, is he going to work for us? We're in a mobile trailer. <laughs> <laughs> we both needed each other, I guess. I took the job and that company became Amgen, the world's largest biotechnology corporation. And I got, when I got my salary package, they give you this big swag of stock options, which at the time were, you know, a large amount of nothing. And then they got FDA approval. And I went from nothing to millionaire like that. And it was... It was weird. Like we had secretaries in the parking lot driving around a Mercedes and, you know, because they got a similar stock package, you know, as part of their job. <laughs> it was, it was unusual, but 
as it happens, I ended up having to go back to Australia because my mother fell ill and I had to go back there and take care of her. And that began a very quick lesson of losing everything very fast. Uh, my, I got divorced. Uh, I lost half of my money with that. I had bought real estate in Australia and I didn't want to let go of it. So I ended up assuming mortgages for the half of the property that I had to pay her out on. And, and then I thought, well, okay, that's bad. But then it got really bad because I happened to go into a, with some friends, we went on a vacation driving across the outback and we ended up having a massive car accident and I was in a coma for three weeks and pulled out of a wreckage with a dead body on top of me. It was like being on the front lines in combat. Uh-huh. And, and I saw the medical industry in Australia from the, from the inside looking out, which was not, not from the doctor's perspective, but from the being stuck on a bed there for six or eight weeks and, and having to recover and coming out disabled and everything. And, and that kind of, I lost everything. I lost everything in, uh, in wealth. I lost everything in hope. And I was at a pretty dark place, but I said, you know what? I can build myself back from this. And I did. So years later, I ended up getting remarried, moved back to the States, came back with this kind of hunger to want to reclaim where I was. And within five years, I was a millionaire again. But this time I did it with real estate. So it was a very different game. Uh, so yeah, it was a weird story. After that, many things have happened. <laughs> but I, I've come through that. I've been around the block so many damn times now that um, I know what I'm capable of and I know what the world is capable of and what risk mitigation is all about. And these days what I do is I, don't, I haven't had a job for 25 years. Um, I live my own life the way I want to and... After a few years ago, a lot of people came to me and said, hey, Miles, how'd you do it? What'd you do? And I'm like, well, I did this. And they're like, well, that's really contrarian. I'm like, well, that's funny. I don't hear that word that often. And they're like, well, no, everyone here does everything by the book. You know, you, you go to college, you do this, you do that, you get your student loans, you do it, you know. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, that doesn't work. Well, it didn't work for me. Okay. That was the weird thing. It didn't work for me. What, it, what I found was it didn't work for a lot of people, but it did work for some. And so therefore I couldn't say you're right, I'm wrong, because I wasn't, that was not. I was like, I'm different. And if you're interested in hearing a different approach to how this sort of stuff works, I can talk your ears off. But if you don't want to hear a different approach and you want to follow the same social mantra, it's alien to me and I can't relate. And that's kind of, I guess, where I'm at. You know, I love I love uh, stories like yours, and I love guests like yours because, um, uh, you know, because we have this narrative in society where it's like you just you're supposed to che- fill in all these check boxes, and you're supposed, and this is the the definition of success, and you know you're successful or you're you know influential, and you check all these boxes. But what's really interesting is you have you basically have broken all the rules. And um, now, you, you know, basically you, and then you've hacked the system. So, uh, and I, and I find individuals such as yourself, extremely fascinating because, you know, you, you shatter the idea that you need to be a certain way and you have to you know, do a certain thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, we can go from there. What's interesting is that, you know, you be, became a very successful, lost it, but then you built it back up and you've, you know, learned these lessons. Uh I'm interested in the concept of 
traditional retirement early because um and your thoughts about that because i know you you um you know you were part of the fire movement and so talk about a little bit about you know the traditional concept of retirement and and how you know it's changing yeah i i wouldn't say i'm part of the fire movement i'm part of the fi movement the first part of that um i i okay i here's kind of something that i think maybe your audience might resonate with if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you feel is your calling, that you're feeling like it's validating your ego, you're providing service, then that's not work, that's purpose. And what we've got is a society where an 18-year-old kid is put in front of a student loan debt contract with absolutely no idea what they're going into on the pretense of a leap of faith based on what their parents told them, what their student advisors told them, what their friends told them was the world that they were going into. And having raised a daughter who's 25 now and you know watched her go through the experience, I, I, I can relate to it. I think that what ends up happening is that we, we end up graduating some extremely smart, intellectually capable people who are miserable. Because they, for the most part, only I think the statistics show about 65% of all college entrants actually leave college and go to work in their major. Uh, most of them don't. And it's, you know, I, I look at college from the point of view of, of a hard education and a soft education. Hard being that you're going in there to learn specific skills required for your calling. So if you're a, a doctor, or an engineer, or an architect, or a lawyer, you're, lose, you're learning those skills that are needed to be able to enter that field because people die if you screw up, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to meet that barrier. That's not the case for somebody studying political science or SEO marketing. Right? <laughs> those guys are shoved into the same tertiary education entrance mantra as a doctor, a lawyer, an architect is which is why they end up leaving with a lot of debt and then that offsets their ability to buy real estate or buy their own home in a stage where they're, in a, say, a quarter of their life where they're building it. So those that retire early would want to be, the word retire is kind of to leave something, right? And I like the idea of never using that word in my syntax at all because I want to have my purpose and do what I my calling is and love what I do and never consider its work. What was the problem was we have a society in which it's very expensive to live, particularly if you're trying to live with status. If you want to buy that big McMansion and, you, and you know drive the Ferrari or whatever you want to do, that's going to cost you a lot of money every single month in cash flow. Uh -huh. If you want to, want to live like Gandhi, well, <laughs> it won't cost you anything, but you're probably going to have a hard time doing it in the United States. Um, we have a system here where the basic rules of existence, physi physiological existence, require you to have medical insurance, require you to have other insurances, require you to pay for power and utility costs, food costs, shelter costs, all those things collectively make it next to impossible to not have a job. And as a result, people get into this job that they have no, they can't connect the job to the purpose. And then consequently, they do what everyone else told them. And that is don't follow your heart and what you want to do. Follow what's going to make you enough money so you don't die. All right. Well, that's fine. Um, 
but the narrative's wrong because if you don't know your purpose to begin with, you have absolutely no point of reference. So you can't say, well, my purpose is to be a physician. Okay, great. You're in the business of service. You're in the business of, of being, uh, you know, able to solve problems at levels that few in this world can do. But that has to be your purpose, right? If you chose that because your dad was a doctor or your mom was a doctor or, you, you know, whatever it was, then you got to hope <laughs> that that's right because, what, 12 years later, you're going to find out whether it's right. And by then, you've already got the trappings and you've already got the debt load and all of a sudden you're stuck. And that's our world, right? And replace physician with customer service guy at American Express or you know, general contractor or plumber or auto mechanic or whatever. And it's exactly the same story. My point with this is that you need purpose first. Once you've established purpose, you establish a set of ground rules around you or, or metrics, and then you measure your costs of living or your what I call your burn rate against those metrics to have a number that represents your monthly costs. And then what you want to do is you want to earn that number. And so you've got, to, you've got two ways of earning that number. You can sell your time by the hour or you can own assets that pay you to own them. And I will tell you this, the rich don't have jobs. So if the rich don't have jobs, they've obviously got assets. So the best thing to do is to use other people's money, buy the assets, then eventually own the assets outright, let the assets pay you to live and then follow your purpose. We're done here. <laughs> That's it. But nobody teaches that. They don't teach that in high school or college or anything. We hope you don't mind this brief interruption from one of our affiliates. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doctor Doc is a personal lending solution designed by doctors for doctors. We understand that doctors' financial situations change faster than an insulin drip in ketoacidosis. And we also understand that doctors are the most reliable borrowers in the world. Through our proprietary algorithm, we're able to provide personal loans at great rates with amazing flexibility because we take into account your schooling, your specialty, and where you are in the medical journey. Doctors come to us after they've matched into residency and we loan for all sorts of personal reasons, from credit card debt consolidation to family expenses and medical bills. We speak with everyone who applies for a loan and offer fixed interest rates and flexible term options without prepayment penalties. If you're a physician looking for a personal loan, fill out our application form now. It only takes three minutes and we'll get back to you with a decision within 24 hours. You know, this interview has probably been one of the best interviews um, that I've done because, uh, you know, most of the guests, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, real estate or business, but what you're talking about is just freedom. What is so fascinating is that it's just uh, so contrary. It's like the counterintuitive and you think, you know, you have to work harder and you have to get all these degree and, um, you know, get this high paying job and, you um, so this is interesting. You also talk about financial sustainability over financial. So tell us more about what that is. 
So if you know these numbers, uh, you know what your burn rate is, what it costs you to live, and you know that you need to achieve that and your ideal way of doing it is through a thing I call smart income. A lot of people might call it cash flow assets, but I think that uh, there's the world's changed, particularly in regards to technology. So what I mean by smart income is owning things that pay you to own them. And they can be anything from a dividend stock to a vending machine to real, rental real estate, which is what made me wealthy. Um, and I thank my wife for that because that was really her direction. Um, but those things make you uh, able to generate your burn rate. So financial sustainability is when you hit 150% of your burn rate. It's a simple mathematical score that you have to hit 150% of your burn rate rate with asset-based income, so dividends from the assets. And the rule typically in financial sustainability that I teach is that no one asset should take more than 5 to 15% of your time. So the whole idea here is to make money without investing your time into doing it. It's completely the opposite of making money by selling your time by the hour, whether it be a job, you have your own practice, your own independent contractor, freelance, whatever it is, if you're selling your time by the hour, you're doing it wrong in regards to financial sustainability. Now, you can play the game of like making a lot of money. You could be making three quarters of a million dollars a year as a specialist consulting in some field. The problem is that the government will see you coming and they'll want half of that, if not more. And then you'll become the rich guy that they love to audit. And at the end of the day, you know, you're carrying around the administrative burden of having to pay accountants, lawyers, staff, everything to support this massive income that you're getting. And at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to a simple phrase, which I use a lot on my, for my community. I, I tell them, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. And the problem is we forget to look like a small business. When you look at a profit and loss statement, you see income, Less your expenses is your net profit. Most sport businesses, all they do is they focus on income. I've got to earn more income, more income, more income. Meanwhile, their expenses are just ratcheting up so that the second they have a month where they don't earn that income, the expenses are still there and they're taking away from their future earnings. And if they keep 5 or 7% of their total net income as profit, they think they're heroes. Well, the way I work is that you've got to keep it all. So you've got to find a way that you're not losing what you earn. And if all you're doing is chasing increased income all the time because you believe it's going to impress people that you don't know or you hate, or it's going to give you a certain level of status in your own mind of success, and you've got, you're not keeping that money, you're doing it wrong. And financial sustainability is the art of keeping the money you earn and not having to, pay, have to express toil to earn it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so well said. Uh, it's, you know, it's all about cash flow and freedom. You have some very interesting ideas. Now, let's talk about, um, we talked about a little bit about financial freedom and you, you're, uh, you have a lot of um, libertarian I ideals and, and we'll get into this concept of how it applies to, especially Bitcoin, because, uh, you know, that's the, um, it's a it's a new asset class you know it's it's made the headlines re just today you know just with all the liquidations and you know the whole recession and everything so tell us about your story into uh you know crypto and we'll go into there again this not for the listeners is not financial advice and you know 
this, you know, also disclaimer because of market conditions, you should do your research and, you know, don't get it, don't lose more than you can afford. So talk about a little bit about your story and then we will we'll talk more. Well, uh, being a software guy, uh, I live in the world of technology and have for a long time and I relate to it. And in the 2000s, I was writing some software that I was selling to people. It was in the service management area. And uh, this thing with the internet was coming about where people were no longer looking to pay for little shiny CDs. They wanted to pay a subscription for something that was being hosted on the internet. So I went ahead in the early part of that that decade and I bought uh, a big ton of servers and rented a whole, you know, cages in big data centers and started setting up my own, what I guess we called a managed service provider operation. I guess a lot of people might call it an ISP. The easy way of calling it is the cloud. I set up my own, I was one of the very first cloud operators in Arizona. When I was doing that, I went through this process where I needed to convert the software I'd written before into an internet hosted version of itself. And it, it, and I, this was about 2007 where I started that. I got a certain way through it and then realized that I needed to hire people to help me get through this, get over the finishing line. That was sometime uh, during that period and, and a number of years later. And I ended up hiring people from all over the world. I had people working for me from Australia, Vietnam, uh, India. Uh, and I had this one guy who was working for me who was one of the best guys I had. And he was from Bangladesh. And the weird thing was at that time, we would come out of the post 9-11 period. And so Muslim countries were not necessarily trusted by the US federal government and and also by the banking industry. So when I'd get this guy working for me, who was fantastic, and I could send him the specification via email and get it instantly, he'd do the work, send me back the code, I'd check it, it was great. Um, and we it was instant, right? When it came to paying him, it was a whole different game. Uh, I couldn't PayPal the guy. I couldn't Venmo the guy. There wasn't anything like that back then. I literally had to go to Western Union with a big wad of cash and then send it to him. And I watched the money when he eventually received it. He lost 27% of everything he earned to the, what I would call the trolls on the bridge, the money changers. Mm -hmm. um, I thought this is ridiculous, right? How, how on earth can this guy be incentivized to want to continue to work for me? Do I have to pay him 27% more to cover the, the loss in the, in the interim or do, does he have to eat it? I don't know, but this isn't good. So meanwhile, we had been chatting and this was about 2010, late 2010, I'd say. And he had said to me, well, there's this thing called Bitcoin. We could try that. And I'm like, well, what exactly is that? Well, then I learned by about 2011, I decided that rather than taking a big chunk of cash to Western Union, I'd wire a big chunk of cash to this exchange in Japan and I'd buy a ton of Bitcoin and I'd use it like a, a payment because I could log in over the internet. There's all my Bitcoin. And as he was doing my work, he'd send me an invoice and I'd pay him the dollar equivalent in Bitcoin at the time. And I bought it for $7 each back in those days. Uh -huh. But a lot of it. 
you know, because I wasn't going to be wiring money all the time because I'd just be losing it to the banks in wiring fees. The whole reason of doing it was to avoid that. So I just bought a lot of Bitcoin and sat on it. Well, that worked for a while and eventually he got back to me and said, well, this is great. I got this Bitcoin, but I can't spend it on anything and I need to feed my family. <laughs> and so we, um, we worked out. There was this exchange in Hong Kong and they just come out and they had this thing where they were tying a debit card, like a MasterCard debit card to a Bitcoin account. And if you put all your Bitcoin in their exchange, you could withdraw against it with this debit card. And I said, well, let's give this a shot. So we did. I set him up with a debit card. He goes down to the local equivalent of like a 7-Eleven in Dakar, puts this thing in the ATM machine and says he wants some money out. It comes out and charge him like 50 cents. And he's got money and he paid 50 cents to get it. And I'm like, dude, we got a solution here. This is awesome. <laughs> well, that led me into the whole Bitcoin world because I could see the power that this was going to have to the unbanked, the power this was going to have to the the 8 billion or 7 billion at the time people on planet Earth that, you know, needed more than what Western banking was providing them. And this was the answer. And for me, as a software guy, I thought this is how I build up a great team of developers who I can pay instantly who are going to stay with me, that they're not going to walk away, you know, for something else because they, it takes them two weeks to get paid. Um, and I did. And then what, what I saw was really unusual because the, if you read the original 2009 white paper on Bitcoin, it's titled Bitcoin, an electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash system, meaning that it was designed for exactly the purpose that I was using it for, to pay people uh, as a medium of exchange. Then it got morphed because all of a sudden everybody said, this thing's incredible and it's got a finite uh, supply. It's got 21 million, can't be any more. So therefore the value of any Bitcoin, if we apply basic Austrian economic free, not, free market principles to it, will go up based on demand and demand went up. So my little $7 Bitcoin very quickly became $1,200. And at that point, you're not paying anybody in Bitcoin anymore <laughs> because you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm keeping this thing. This thing's worth a mint. Well, I continued to buy in and buy in and buy in on it. At the time, I rode that Bitcoin train all the way through to about 2017, 2018, when it went to about 20K, oh, which is actually surprisingly not that far off where it is today. <laughs> but when it was at that price point, I started to see factors of humanity I didn't like. Scams, rug pulls. I saw miners that weren't mining anything and taking money and, you know, never giving it back. I saw, I saw just the worst part of humanity. I saw this crazy quest for greed and this, you know, insatiable appetite for more, more, more. And I, I said to myself, you know, that's not me. I'm, I'm a pragmatic guy. I, I like the idea of the buck stops here. I like the idea of being responsible for my actions and and I also like the idea of being rewarded for the, the those actions but I don't like theft I don't like grifters I don't like all the dark side of humanity that started to show its true self and at that point I said I've made 1800 times on what I originally invested in this thing 
And it was it was an accident because I was using it as a medium of exchange. It was an intentional investment. But I can walk away right now very wealthy and I, you know, I don't have to worry about it. And I can walk away with my head held high. So I did. And that's what happened. And then people ever since that, you know, I get people coming to me going, how'd you make all this money? You know, all this Bitcoin, I've got to get into it. And I told them a little story about what I learned when I was a teenager uh, in Australia. And uh, the, the lesson was, I, I, when you're a teenager in Australia, you live on the coast and I lived in a city on the coast. Like all of my buddies, we all became guys who wanted to become great surfers because that was what you'd do, right? You'd get your surfboard out and wax it down, stick it on the roof of your combi van or VW <laughs> microbus, whatever they call them. And you'd drive out to the great surf and you'd, go out there and think that you were, you know, some hot surfer and have the greatest rides and all that stuff. So I went along with it and I went out there and after a few days, I just gotten so beaten up trying to learn how to surf that I was ready to chuck it in because it was like, this is painful, exhausting, and I'm not getting it. But I, I decided to stick it out. I'm really glad I did because I started to learn things about nature and the universe. I learned patterns. I could see how waves come in cycles. I could see how waves start from nothing and rise up. And, and I could also realize that I'd never, ever catch a wave if I was trying to catch it when it was upon me, when it was passing me. I have to be well ahead of it and paddle like crazy before it gets to me. And that's the only hope I ever got of, of catching a wave. When I learned that lesson, I learned the rules of life. I learned that if you want to buy anything, you've got to be the guy surfing in the water, prepared and ready, and you've got to paddle before the thing gets to you. That's what I did with Bitcoin. It's what I've done with real estate. It's what I've done with everything. And that means that you've got to do the polar opposite of what your natural human instinct is, and that is when everybody else is out there making money, you want a piece of the action. You're, you know, fear of missing out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Am I right? Yeah. That's your worst enemy because – while you're chasing the dragon that everybody else is telling you about, you're missing out on all of the opportunities that come from being a contrarian, being the opposite. You never make money buying something at the peak. And yet our society and our news media and our mentality is to put the spotlight on everything that's at the peak um, and then say, oh, this is good. You need to get in on it. No, no, no. When everyone's put the spotlight on the things that are crashing, that's when you need to get in on it. Um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was telling me about how, you know, back in six months ago, you could get a home mortgage at 3% for a 30-year fixed mortgage. And today it was there was some article, I think, on CNBC or something saying that by the end of the month, uh, they're expecting home mortgage base rates to be at 6%, uh -huh. double their interest, right? I said, yeah, well, there's a lesson in that. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, we should have got a home mortgage six months ago, shouldn't you? I mean, because like that's when you get it. You get it when it's low because if you had bought real estate, when I bought real estate, they were 13%. So that was really good. <laughs> Why weren't you going out there then doing this? Why did you keep delaying, delaying, delaying when you knew it was an all-time low and you knew it wasn't going to stay there that long? Well, because society tells you not to buy it when it's a bargain and then when you missed out like FOMO, and it's now 6% and you can't afford it, that's when you put all your focus on real estate or on a mortgage. I, I don't get it. To me, do the opposite of what everyone else does. You do pretty damn well out of it. Yeah.
yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a fascinating discussion, and uh, I know a lot of people listening uh, would are interested in finding out more about you or visiting your website. Um, and uh, any resources or links, um, feel free to shout them out right now. Oh, okay. Well, um, everything that I do and where people can find about me and whatever is at a website called beunconstrained.com. So beunconstrained.com. The thing I'm probably most noted for is uh, I do a weekly podcast called The Unconstrained Podcast. It's pretty popular. Um, And as a result of that, I find myself appearing on various shows around the place and all over the place. But um, I do this weekly podcast because it was, it was kind of weird. Like somebody said to me the other day, you've been doing it for three or so years. Why did you do it? And I said, well, I have this daughter and she's like all young kids, you know, she's never going to listen to what dad says because <laughs> uh-huh. dad's, you know, well, I don't want to listen to it. She's like that typical punk rock mentality, which I had to, so I get it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you want to forge your own way. You want to, you know, you've got to go around the block and you've got to find it out on your own. I get that. What I wanted to do was I wanted to capture these lessons that have come from living a really unusual life uh, all around the world and doing the crazy things I've done, but I couldn't tell her. I had to put it out there and tell everybody and then hope one day that she'd gravitate towards it when she needed to. And just so happens that, you know, she gets older, she needs to gravitate towards it more than, she did if it was dad just barking it down the line. So so the Unconstrained Podcast is kind of my way of telling people about what I've learned in life, both monetarily, philosophically, my experiences living all around the world. Um, you know, we live half of the time in Arizona, half the time I have a big estate in Mexico I live in. Uh, I go to, to, back to my home country, Australia, periodically. Um but to be, have the freedom to do that and to be able to learn so much about the world and its history and what it's taught me. And I'm constantly learning every day. I'm learning something new. Um, just to be able to share some of those stories through that podcast has been what I do. So that's probably the, the main thing. Yeah, that, that's so awesome. So uh, really, really fantastic episode um, for all the listeners, um, all of the uh, resources and uh, links will be in the show notes. And so, Miles, thanks so much. It was a very fascinating discussion. I, I, I really love the um, the principles that you talked about. And, uh, you know, we look forward to having you as a guest on future episodes. Oh, sure. I'd love to. That'd be great. Thanks for having me. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What a fantastic show! I hope you enjoyed our very special guest. Just remember, as a shout out to our this week's sponsor, CityVest.com. CityVest gives you access to the best real estate private equity funds with enhanced investment terms, verified due diligence, and lower risk. You can check them out at CityVest.com or click on the link in the show notes below to hear about their upcoming investment offerings. If you enjoyed that episode, don't forget, that's just the free content. We also have 
paid premium content subscription with better guests, information, updates, and discussions that can't be accessed anywhere else. You can subscribe to our premium content by clicking on the link in the show notes below to subscribe. Just a quick note, members who sign up for the bottom floor price introductory the first year will be grandfathered into that price for life. I expect the monthly subscription amount to increase quickly next year and the year after, so don't delay. I'm excited that you made it for another episode. You are truly the best. If you've been following the show for a while, you know that my passion is to bring you the education you need to find your path to financial freedom. Please come back week after week for new content, new resources, and great guests. Until then, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out the website, www.drchrisluemdphd.com for more support. I'll see you next week.